felt myself popping over into uh, the sympathetic nervous system when I'm agitated or somebody is just pissing me off or I'm getting angry. They might be feeling like I am unsafe and I can feel it all coming in when really I'm not in an unsafe situation, nor am I being attacked. I just am processing it. That's the story that I'm telling. Hi, I'm Teresa, and welcome to the podcast that explores the stories the body holds and the stories the body tells. I'm Sherry, and our aim is to connect the individual to the collective through our shared stories of living in a body. And each week, Sherry and I pick a different topic and have a casual conversation. This is Anecdotal Anatomy. Part two of the art of slowing down. And in this episode, we'll focus on the autonomic nervous system, the nervous system, and uh, the vagus nerve. So we went from some fun stories in our last episode to... Anecdotal. Yes. And maybe we'll touch science, which I bet has a little bit of anecdote in it as well. The two seem to blend into each other in all of our conversations, but maybe a little bit more sciencey today. So what is the autonomic nervous system? (laughs) Go for it, T. All right. So the autonomic nervous system is that part of us that kind of runs our programs in the background. That's how I like to think about it. It is the autonomic nervous system is very system generated, right? It looks at how our cardiac system and our digestion and all of the things that go on, our breath, our digestion, our reproduction, our heart rate and pace, all of these processes that run in the background without us having to pay a whole lot of attention. Automatic systems, autonomic nervous system. And in that moment, I had an autonomic experience, not from my nervous system, but from my dog. She, she was emptying my trash onto the floor. So I, if I looked distracted, that's what, that's, I'm so sorry. Luna is my lunatic who I love. All right. Cortisol now coming into. Yes. So we have two sides, fight or flight, which we'll probably bring back to last episode a little bit when we talk about that tortoise in the hair, maybe some more, who knows if that comes up. So fight or flight, the part of our system that engages us to be able to get things done. Uh, We often talk about the sympathetic nervous system as being more male quality oriented, you know, the getting things done, the moving fast pace, getting us prepared to get up and run away from the bear, redesigning or refocusing where our resources, there's a lot of reason there, where our resources inside our body are being directed. So when we need to be in that fight or flight and sympathetic nervous system, maybe we take our resources away from some of those internal systems and redirect our energy into our legs and our arms so we can run away from the bear or so we can get that project done. We have better focus with our eyes. And, you know, as we, Cherry and I signed off from doing the tortoise in the hair, I said, maybe I was thinking of the tortoise as being in parasympathetic, rest and relax, because it was slow and steady. And my brain automatically went to slow and steady, must be 
parasympathetic. But maybe he was using every bit of his resources being directed into those legs. Just because it took him time doesn't mean that he wasn't using those sympathetic resources to direct his energy out so that one foot in front of the other could happen for an extended period of time. And that's right. And he also wanted to win. So that desire to win may also have fed into the adrenaline, which is a sympathetic hormone. Is that right? A sympathetic nervous system hormone? I'm, yes. Sometimes I remember things and I'm not sure where I remember them from. So I'm looking to you for that validation. But yeah, I think we also can sometimes vilify the sympathetic nervous system. And I was talking to a friend who was a doctor and he's like, well, you know, you get cortisone shots. You know, I, I don't know if that was like part of the cortisol, like the, all of this, you know. So it's just really, again, about knowing when and where and how. And so while in part one, we talked a lot about the art of slowing down. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about the benefits, the practices, and the science of what that looks like in the body, right? Teresa, you're going <laughs> to shake that one up a little bit. But, you know, because when we talk about the vagus nerve, which seems to be a hot topic these days, it's one of those buzzwords out there in the, in the zeitgeist that we'll understand a little bit more about it. Now, remember, we are not doctors and we are not being prescriptive with any of this. We are offering suggestions for ways that we can, you know, minimize the the cortisol when we need it to be and maximize it when we need it to be. You know, I have high blood pressure post-menopause. So many of these things say, oh, reduces blood, you know, high blood pressure and all of that. Well, that hasn't been the case for me. So I just want to say that to be transparent, to say that these are a general list of benefits that have been either anecdotally or through different studies shown to be, I, I use the word true and not fact necessarily, because, you know, like I said, for me, it's not a fact. It may be a truth that it can feed into that. But before menopause, I had low blood pressure, I had low cholesterol. You know, I was very sort of all the things I believed myself to be showed up in my blood pressure. And now I don't feel tense or anxious or I don't live in my sympathetic nervous system, but I have, and all of the tests that I've taken show no root cause for my high blood pressure. I don't have hypertension. So like, it, it's a little confusing to me, but that said, it's just to say like, I do these practices and I would be worried what things might look like if I didn't. So <laughs> what would that look like? So, you know, do what you can you know, be truthful. If you're feeling something, you're like, oh, I can't be having this because I do X, Y, Z. Get checked anyway. Like we're not doctors. No, no, but it will be a fun conversation either way, at least for me, because I love talking about <laughs> all the little sciencey things. Again, to the level of what I know, and there are people obviously who are going to know so much more than I do, but this it's not about vilifying one or the other, like you said, but our ability to navigate back and forth between which of the parts of our system we need at any given time. If we have a project that needs to get done or you and I were preparing to come in and start recording these episodes, there's a sympathetic stimulation that needs to happen to prepare to show up and be ready and to be in that getting it done system. And then afterwards, we can pop back over into the parasympathetic nervous system, also known sometimes as rest and digest or rest, breed and digest, as all of those systems of the body come back into this balance. So how might you know 
that you're in the sympathetic stimulation, that you are in this fight or flight part of the autonomic nervous system. And I personally don't believe that we're 100% in one and 100% in other, or although we could be, there's a, a blend as there is with everything else. But in order to prepare ourselves to run from that bear, then- Or the ringing cell phone. Or the ringing <laughs> cell phone or that project of, you know, that <laughs> stack of papers on your desk that you know that you have to get done, whatever that is, that project, that deadline that we're- coming up on, our pupils dilate to become more focused. We stop producing saliva. So if you've ever noticed if a deer actually ran out in front of your car and you hit the brakes, that your mouth gets dry. So this flat saliva production and mucus, we need to be able to breathe. So all of those um, hydrating mucusy systems, they slow down a little bit. Our heart rate increases so that we can pump that blood. We have our bronchial muscles relax. So breathing to run is going to become uh, hopefully easier, but that doesn't always happen with me. Peristalsis, digestion starts to be reduced. We have this increased conversion into glucose. We need that sugar and that energy to move throughout our systems. We don't have to pee while we're running. Sometimes we have this de decreased urine secretion. Coming back to your answer, noroepinephrine and epinephrine are secreted. So we feel that cortisol and that burst of energy so that we can get out and get some, some things done. So that's just some of the sensations that we might feel if, if we're resting in, if resting in, hopefully we can rest in if we are in this sympathetic nervous system. And it's immediate. When something happens now that is scary, when the deer runs out in the middle of the road on a dark night, when something is acute like that, it doesn't take long for our body to make that transition, to jump into action and to start to release all of those chemicals into our system. So this brings up a question for me because it, I've heard it in conversations. And for me, this is going to be a much more anecdotal conversation than the actual hard science, but that many of us live more in our sympathetic nervous systems um, without the bear, without the big, you know, acute moment where that would be, that transition would be quick. So what is the effect in the body over time living in that with the release of these chemicals as almost feeling natural and normal? rather than something that is here to keep us safe when we need it? Is it still going to be effective in those moments when we really need it? Or is it just kind of, I don't know. So those are really, really great questions. And uh, so I'm going to answer with what I know. And I'm sure there's going to be lots of other answers that could come into living with being in this high state of sympathetic stimulation. Some of the things that I recognize in my objective observance when I'm working with different clients are some of the things that might be written on their intake form, like insomnia, irritable bowel, irritable bladder, digestive problems, high blood pressure. And we already talked about that. Like everything yeah. is a sometimes. I'm looking for this grouping of right. things on somebody's intake. So high blood pressure, high heart rates, feeling anxious, not sleeping well, 
not digesting, different types of digestive problems, ulcers. These to me are possible things for me to look at when somebody is sharing that with me that maybe the art of slowing down might be a really great program for them to take with us uh, because it's the body's having a hard time ridding itself of that influx of chemicals that are helping us to get things done. So again, I don't want to vilify, we need that sympathetic stimulation. When you get stuck in it, I think that's the, the real thing that captures my attention is being stuck in one or the other. We're on sympathetic right now. And it feels like normalizing it. It just, that's, that's the natural state I'm in. This is just who I am. This is how I show up. I mean, when I was younger, even before, when I had low blood pressure, now this is all, I think I'm a fucking medical anomaly. I don't even know. But I had a trainer at New York Sports Club, Armando, hi Armando. And he had me take my resting heart rate. I really wish I remembered what it was. But when I told him the number, he said, that can't be, it's way too high, do it again. So as soon as I woke up the next morning, he said, take for 10 seconds and then times it by six. And that's what I did. And then I, and then I did it again, counting the entire minute to see what it was. And he was like, nope, not right. And this was when spinning was beginning to get big. And I had taken a couple of spinning classes and they required that we wore heart rate monitors. And so I had my heart rate monitor on. And every time the instructor would say, your heart rate should be between in this range, mine was always in the next or the next one, like one following it or the one after that. And I remember him coming over to me one day and saying, you should be dead. Like your heart rate should not be that high. And so I remember thinking, oh, well, maybe I'm on borrowed time. We're all on borrowed time. We, we live, we're in, all in the process of dying. So, okay. I laughed it off because Armando had said it. But I never once, but my doctors never noticed it. If I went in for a checkup, they never said, oh, your pulse is off the chart. Maybe they weren't, I don't know. I don't know what that is. But that now in my life where my heart rate has sort of leveled out, my blood pressure's higher. So it's just, again, like you said, it's, there's no one size or one thing but we are all individual stories being told, but we do share some universal things. So before we get into the actual parasympathetic, I don't know that we actually listed in the last episode the actual benefits of slowing down, of what that could mean in the body. So here are just 10 that thank you, Chat GPT, for your, your assistance on this. I will always tell you when it comes from my imagination, my experience, or from the Chat GPT. But it spat this out, it said reduce stress and anxiety levels, improve sleep quality. A lot of these things that you've already said are interrupted by the other side. Better digestion and gut health, lowered risk of heart disease and stroke, enhanced immune system functions, improved mental clarity and focus, increased creativity and productivity, enhanced relationships and social connections, reduced risk of burnout and exhaustion, something I wanted to talk about in the last episode really super important, and increased overall sense of well-being and happiness. So if you think about those words that I said last week that sort of felt like slowing down, they all kind of feel into this bigger experience of, of just overall and optimal wellness and, and well-being. That sounds like a great lead-in for some of the qualities of the parasympathetic nervous system. You know, we had dilation of the pupils to focus in sympathetic constriction of our pupils. Our saliva production increases. So we start to get those fluids flowing through the body again. And boy, being water, we definitely want to have 
the movement of fluids. Mucus production, like all of our, our, all of our linings, they need to be mucusy and moist and cared for or else they get dried out and they crack, right? The heart rate can start to decrease. So it's where our heart's not pumping so quickly. The bronchial muscles begin to contract and allow the breath to find some ease. Gastric juices secrete. So we start to digest again. When somebody's on my massage table and they lay down and their stomach starts making all this noise and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I ate. I don't know why my stomach is making so, so much noise. I do. It's because it's the first time today that you've got to lay down and relax and not have anything going on. And your body said, whew, this is parasympathetic time. So our digestion starts to work again because we have the time for that to happen. So that is some of the things that we can notice. You know, we start to cleanse ourselves of some of those chemicals that allow us to have all that energy. And we can come back to slowing down and finding that balance. So the navigation between the two is ideal. There's not one that's good and one that's bad, but the ability, and this goes back to last last episode too, when we talked about the, you mentioned the countries that have that slower pace. And we had a, a short conversation, go back to our last episode, if you missed that one, about having end of work days and how they moved into those more social activities on a regular basis. That And maybe that is exactly what we need to do at the end of our workday is to take that time or the end of that project or, you know, when we meet that deadline to take the time to slow down and find that balance and start to train our bodies to fluctuate between the two and not get stuck in either one. And not even have to wait until the end of the project of the thing to be able to find that balance on the journey to that, that space. You mentioned the dilating of the, the pupils as sort of a function of focus. And I remember years ago, someone telling me that when pupils dilate, it's, it's love, it's compassion. It's, it's a different, it's a warmth that if you see, I had, I knew someone with very crystal blue eyes, but her pupils never dilated and she always appeared cold. She always appeared to be someone who was struggling or, you know, that even when she said something kind, it kind of came across as mean, you know, there was this thing, but it was all in the eyes. And I think, I think again, it was my sister who told me this or something like years and years ago. And I'm very aware of people when their pupils dilate. And like, I have a really good friend who is a psychic medium and she does a lot of energy work. And I've noticed her pupils very rarely come back. Like they do, but they're beautifully dilated. It's almost like her pupils are the size of her irises. And it's, there's a warmth, but it also feels like an opening because warmth and love can't be, can't, I think, share the space of something that's closed. You know, it's an open thing. So the parasympathetic is that rest, relax. And I think we love and feel compassion more when we're in that space. Unless, you know, you're a mama bear, you know, and the cortisol is going, you're back in, in the sympathetic and it's all the love of your cubs, right? And you're just, so I don't mean to say that you can only feel love when you're in that dilated pupil place, but, you know, pay attention to people in their eyes as you communicate with them. 
if their pupils you know, shrink while you're talking to them, eh, maybe there's some data there. And the same is true if they get bigger when you're talking to them. First date, use that as a first date cue. I'm going to have to use that as a first date cue because I never heard of that before. So thank you for sharing that. I really do want to see. I'll be Googling it later to make sure it's a thing. <laughs> I'm going to have to pay attention. I don't, I can't say that I consciously ever paid attention. And maybe we notice things beyond notice, you know, that you just without don't knowing know. Without knowing why. Like, without knowing. Why, why did that person seem so stern? Well, maybe it was yeah. her pu pupils were so tiny. <laughs> I don't know. And, you know, some people may have conditions that prevent their pupils from, you know, reacting to light the way that uh, others do, yeah. light and love. Yes, I know. Um, my, my eyes are really sensitive. And it's one of the things that people will sometimes say to me, if I'm outside, I almost always have sunglasses on. And, me, you know, I have late blue eyes. Lights really can sometimes bother me. Uh, with the dilation and uh, the constriction of my eyes. So I wear sunglasses a lot, so you might not be able to see that. But I'm also noticing, you know, that driving at night is getting harder and harder for me as I get older, because especially when, you know, these nice dark country roads that I'm on down here where I can go and there's no street lights and the traffic is kind of a little bit slower paced. It fits in with me really well. My sisters say that I'm a good driver, but I'm a slow driver. So they always drive when we go places. <laughs> but because I am, I like to just like I'm a Sunday driver. I want to see what's going on around me. But what I'm noticing in the eyes, and I don't know if it is the light only, or if there's a dis-ease of driving when it gets late and dark now, that the lights are bothering me more. And does that, is that just the light? Or is it, I'm a little bit nervous, maybe I'm a little high, like high energy watching to make sure there's no deer that I don't miss anything. Maybe it is a combination of the two, the lights from the car, but also my state of mind. Yeah. I know my mom, when she was alive, she had mentioned something about, you know, when we get older, that that's a thing, but that also depending on how the lights are affecting you, it could be indica indicative of you know, pre-cataracts, pre-stuff, if the lights are, I, I forget exactly the adjective she used, but I remembered it was night lights and, and that. So, and she was on special eye drops to keep her from getting the cataracts. Well, good thing I have an appointment with my eye doctor coming up next week. So yeah, ask, ask him or her, like, if that, like, what is that thing? Because I'm just, I'm, it's anecdotal. It's part of a conversation I remember, but I don't remember enough to make like a declarative statement. In the past, again, I'm going to say this from my memory, uh, but in the past, I think my op optometrist or had mentioned getting glasses to wear when I drive that had a yellow filter in them to equalize the light. So maybe that's in my future. I'll wear these uh, really hip kind of glasses that have that yellow, like it looks <laughs> like that yellow sunglasses. Who knows? The autonomic nervous system is our navigation through all of those different regulatory systems that allow us to both get things done, rest, relax, and breed. We have to remember that in rest and relax, there's also breeding that's going to happen because that, you know, our reproductive system is another one of those systems that we don't need if we are shut down in, or not shut down. I'm going to say heavily 
justified to the sympathetic side of our being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some of the uh, activities that we can do to kind of tap into the parasympathetic so that we, we can manage our energies? We get to, like I said before, trajectory is a direction. Everything else is a choice. So, you know, meditation is at the top of, and mindfulness practices. And we've talked before, a mindfulness meditation is different than mindfulness practices, which may also be different than different types of meditation. So, but mindfulness meditation and mindfulness practices, yoga and stretching exercises, because we'll get to the vagus nerve. And I love how you talk about it, sort of touching everything. So stretching is a way, reading a book or writing in a journal. Now I'm a big reader. And I, when I was looking at this list, again, this is a chat GPT list, but it is infused with personal experience. And when I lived in New York City, one of the things that like you talked about doing the audiobooks while driving, and that was, and for me, it was reading on the subway. Um, but I always felt like I had to finish the chapter before my stop, or I had to finish the page before my stop. And the trick, the hack, the activity that I did to kind of keep myself really present with the words that I was reading and being present required slowing down because if I was rushing, I would have to reread everything. Like my friend Jess said in her, in her thing about the tortoise and the hare, if you're rushing, you have to do things over and over again. And I started using a paperclip to show where I was ending. So I could end in the middle of a paragraph. I could end in the middle of a sentence and all I had to do, and I always put the larger side of the paperclip in the place where I was ending. So I was like, is it the smaller side or the bigger side? I was consistent, always the bigger side of the paperclip. And it was always exactly where I was stopping. So I didn't feel rushed at the end to like, oh my God, I only have, you know, another minute until my stop. I would read until just while we were slowing down, put the paperclip in and move on. Taking a leisurely walk or hike. That's again, you know, like you were saying with Siba last, last episode, how sometimes, and I know with Lona too, like, come on dog, let's fucking walk. But if we can, you know, slow it down and take it in. Engaging in creative activities, such as painting or playing music or coloring. You were talking about doing a coloring activity at your house, cooking or baking a favorite recipe. Now we can do any and all of these activities from the sympathetic nervous system. We could rush and get all of our ingredients out or we can make it a mindful activity, a mindful practice. Spending quality time with loved ones or pets, taking a relaxing bath or spa day. Like I said, I will never vilify the bath. Take that fucking bubble bath and don't let anyone make you feel bad or say that's not real self-care. It may be an aspect of self-care, but it's your choice. Watching a movie or TV show without distractions. So think about how many times you pick up your phone while you're watching a show. I've gotten into the great habit of being able to play games while watching shows I've seen before. But that's not fun. It's not good. It doesn't keep me present. So put the fucking phone down and watch your show. Practicing gratitude and focusing on positive thoughts and experiences. And when I read that one, I also was like, okay, practicing gratitude is great. Focusing on the positive is great. But getting into toxic positivity is I think an activity of the sympathetic nervous system because it's an urgency. There's a, a need to keep things, you know, serenity now from Seinfeld. Let's go. Oh, there was nothing relaxing about that episode. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Seinfeld, serenity now. Go Google it, go on YouTube and find it. But yeah, so those are some activities that, you know, those of us who are not necessarily formal practitioners of any particular path can certainly implement in our daily lives to increase that that sense of rest and restore. Yeah. And with all the things that you mentioned, they both increase and require uh, a little bit of awareness. 
mm-hmm. uh, to stop and pay attention. So I have a couple of questions. And if you're not driving and you can just pause whatever you're doing at this moment, if not, maybe you'll listen to it later or try these activities safely. So as you take a moment to just kind of tap into your own awareness, I have a couple of questions. The first one is, can you feel your heart beating? And maybe that means that you want to put your hand on your chest to help if you're having trouble being aware of the heartbeat. And if you notice it, can you get a sense for its rhythm? Maybe you have a little song that you want to play that's based on the beat of your own heart. So can you feel it? And are you aware of how hard or soft your heart is beating at this moment? And then redirect your attention to your mouth. Is it dry? Or is it filled with all of that great moisture? And then allow your attention to notice your hands. Are they relaxed? Or do you have them like fisted up and ready to go? Sometimes I find that when I'm stressed, I look down and my hands are, all the fingers are curled in and not in a good mudra. Or bad mudra. I shouldn't qualify it as good or bad, but not as a mudra. So notice your hands and your arms and your legs. Are they at ease? Or if you're sitting, can you find ease in those muscles? You hear any noises of digestion? And then maybe notice all the muscles of the face. Are you holding stress? When I notice the muscles of my face, I always notice that I hold so much more stress on the right side. I haven't figured out why yet, but I am aware that I put more tension on the right side of my face than I do on the left. Do you grind or clench your teeth right now? Or is your jaw relaxed? Do you have sweat on your palms or under your arms or on your brow? So just some little ways of tapping into our awareness and noticing the systems of the body, this interoceptive awareness of coming from what's in our outside world and bringing it inside and just feeling in. So just a little bit of an exercise that you can practice now or later. And that will probably lead us over into our vagus nerve, unless you have some more things that you would like to say about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, which are going to go right in alignment with this wandering nerve, the 10th cranial. I just think it's really interesting when you give the specific attributes to each one, qualities, whether they're attributes, I don't know, but the qualities of each, then it gives us something to work with in our awareness so that we can understand where we are a little bit better. I didn't think about the dry mouth or, you know, my hands are usually a little cold, but they're soft. Like they don't. And I know that my husband often holds his thumbs and my kids do too. And I find sometimes I'm looking down holding my thumbs. And that was one of the things that Giselle had said is actually self-soothing if you hold a thumb. 
but that's different than clenching a fist, mm -hmm. you know? So there's an awareness there. Am I self-soothing or am I feeling sort of tense and aggravated or whatever that thing would be? So I just think it's really helpful to have those landmarks that we can, you know, include in our, our self-study. So the vagus nerve is called the wanderer. And uh, I kind of love that because it gives like, I don't know, I always think of wandering as a sense of ease. It, there's not a specific direction, which is not to suggest that the vagus nerve doesn't have a direction because it does have tap-in points. But just the idea that it's called the wanderer makes me feel like, oh, I like wandering and it feels like very easeful to me. It's the 10th cranial nerve. It's the longest nerve in the body, which is fascinating because it just wanders everywhere. So I'm going to just mention some of the places that the uh, vagus nerve touches, some of the areas of the body that it is going to influence. And maybe as I'm mentioning them, just feel them in your own body. I'll do it slow, but not super duper slow. And maybe you won't be able to feel all of them. So the vagus nerve touches your face, the neck, the ears, and the eyes, the tongue, the heart and lungs, liver and kidneys, spleen, our fertility organs, and our pancreas. That's a lot of things to control. And I'm not saying I hit everything. I may have missed something. So, you know, I'm coming from what I do know. But think about some of the things that I mentioned when we talked about the autonomic nervous system, right? What happened with the eyes, you know, and our tongue and what was our heartbeat and our breath? All of these things we talked about in the autonomic nervous system, our ability to digest and reproduce. So the vagus nerve touches the organs that are involved in the autonomic nervous system. So since I'm no expert on this, and I love learning when you talk about things like this, it just turns me on. But in order to contribute to this conversation in any meaningful way, I did go on and look to see how the vagus nerve, what we can do to, to put us into the parasympathetic nervous system. So we know where it travels and we know what it touches. And we've got some ideas of activities that we can do to, you know, enhance our slowing down. But some of the things that we can do specifically in relationship to the vagus nerve and putting us in our parasympathetic is deep diaphragmatic breathing. So, I mean, we talk about the deep, long breaths, but engaging in slow, deep breaths stimulates the vagus nerve, leading to relaxation response and activation of the parasympathetic nervous system. Yes, I am reading this. I'm trying to be casual about it, but, you know, whatever. Meditation. This I can, you know, talk about all day long, but practicing mindfulness and meditation techniques have been shown to increase vagal activity, promoting a shift towards the parasympathetic state. Cold exposure. I don't know if you've read the book Wintering or if you know about Win Hoff, who is the teacher of cold immersions. And I think I had mentioned a couple episodes ago, listening to Russell Brand talk about his experience with the cold. But cold showers or immersing the face in cold water can stimulate the vagus nerve, activating the parasympathetic nervous system. And I, last episode, I said, after we talked about singing, 
um, I said, wait until next episode. We're going to talk about singing and chanting and that as being vocal exercises that involve controlled exhaling, such as singing or chanting, can stimulate the vagus nerve and promote relaxation. This is my favorite one because I sing all day long. Like I'm just in a constant state of song. So this makes me feel like, oh, okay, even when I didn't know about it, I was doing something good for myself. Yoga. Certain yoga poses such as forward bends, twists, and inversions can stimulate the vagus nerve and help activate. Massage therapy. We have our own massage therapist expert over here that gentle, relaxing massage techniques have been found to stimulate the vagus nerve. Acupuncture. Well, this makes sense. Acupuncture. I would, I'm going to guess acupressure too. Studies suggest can increase vagal activity. Laughter. 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 Giggle at yourself any chance you get. Don't laugh at others to be mean, but laugh all you can. Genuine laughter, though I have been told your body doesn't really know the difference between genuine and, and manufactured, but stimulates the vagus nerve and triggers a cascade of parasympathetic responses leading to re relaxation. I love the word cascade. I typically use it when drinking a Guinness after pouring it and watching the beautiful cascade on the side. Practicing gratitude. Now, we talked about this, but expressing gratitude and engaging in positive emotions can enhance the vagal activity and shift the nervous system. And the final one then on this list is social connection. Engaging in meaningful social interactions, spending time with loved ones, participating in group activities has a similar effect. And I would say yesterday uh, was the first time that I went out and was really engaged in a community outside of our own in a while. Um, we were dedicating an outdoor contemplative space at my synagogue, which is beautiful. And Teresa and I are going to do an activity there at the end of August. But I was feeling before then a little disengaged, a little disconnected. I was feeling like I wasn't really sure where I belonged, even though, you know, I do things there, there, I belong there, but I wasn't feeling that sense of belonging. And it felt very personal and very, even though I know a lot of people right now are, we're coming out of this pandemic thing. But I feel like I've watched a lot of people emerge before I did. I feel like I watched a lot of people engaging in the activities that were serving. And for a long time, I told myself that I didn't really want that anymore. I started tapping into my own introverted nature. We talked about Stira and Suka, you know, the, uh, all the different way, the tortoise and the hare, the sympathetic hares, all of these dichotomies, these apparently opposites. Like you said, they're none of them exclusive of their own. We have weavings in and out of all of them. But I was feeling very much like I, I could be alone and solitary for the rest of my life and be happy. And then I went there yesterday and felt that connection and immediately started working the room, immediately started going up and hugging every person that I could find. Just And I didn't have a mask on, just hugging, hugging, hugging. And I felt like, oh my God, that's a part of myself that probably out of circumstances, I started denying, you know, in service of the other without allowing the integration of both of them to be the thing that allowed me to find my balance. I, and I think that that may be true for others, this idea that finding the opposite to balance rather than honoring the things that are regardless of what they are, <laughs> you know, and so for a time I needed to honor that sort of introverted and I still have those things. I, pref I love my meditation practice my writing, my reading, the solitary activities that nourish my soul. But I would be a liar and a half if I said that I wasn't equally as nourished by work in a room and going to hug each person in there, no matter what the self-talk was that rationalized myself out of that, that was mind, not body. My body told me the truth yesterday. 
And so for whatever that's worth in this conversation. I like that we are discussing the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system and the vagus nerve together because they work so closely together in the systems of our body. But in hearing the words that you're saying is activation and stimulation of the parasympathetic nervous system. And when sometimes when we talk about parasympathetic, we're talking about slowing down and resting and relaxing. But then the terms of what the vagus nerve is doing is it's activating and stimulating those processes. And in our earlier, or in our last episode, I can't remember, <laughs> I talked about this moving into the sympathetic nervous system is often very quick and rapid. Uh, if we needed to, if we expressed, saw danger and needed to prepare, our body is skilled at doing it quickly and efficiently and popping into that system, but it takes time to get the body to calm down. If you've ever run a marathon or had a really scary thing happen, you may notice that later on, hours later, you're still like, I still feel like I'm, I'm slowing down. So there's a time that it takes to release and let the body process all of those chemicals. So by activating the vagus nerve is activating the systems in the body to start to make their transition back to that resting state. So I like that there's such an action word right. to bring us into a place of calm and ease. That is so beautiful. It's poetry right there. You know, in our resting and feeling at ease and resilience, we have this social engagement system. When we feel restful and at ease, we're empowered to connect with others and the environment. We maybe have more connections with people. We feel like we have the ability to regulate how, who we are, how we are, and how we're going to show up. So we've got this social way of being or restful. So maybe it's social at home in the family. Maybe it is social going out, but we have that. So we can talk about that as being kind of at ease and feeling safe. And I think that's the, the one of the things that I'm trying to communicate about the autonomic nervous system and the vagus nerve is when we feel safe and nurtured and nourished and supported, that is really very beneficial to our autonomic nervous system to allow us to feel rested, relaxed, and get things done to be able to fluctuate. We have that fight, flight, mobilize, right? So when we come into sympathetic, we're ready for fight. We're ready to flight. We're ready to get things or done. Freeze or freeze. Well, that's the next one. So no, that okay. is all, all on its own. So then we have we really, and uh, we have this life threat, this freeze. We get so exhausted by what we're doing that we just shut down. And we, you know, a, an example of this, and it's a very anecdotal example, is I have a nest of rabbits out in the front of my house that I noticed when the rabbits were already like just starting to come out. So rabbits are really good at hiding their nests is that but I was out watering my front garden and I was catching all of this movement and I couldn't figure out what it was. Well, the rabbits were out of their nest in the front garden 
and moving around. So I quickly turned off the water because I was like moving them all over. But I paused to watch the rabbit and it froze, right? Oh. So feeling a little like it was in danger. There was all this movement around. There was a person around. And this is something that rabbits do really well. They make their scent all over the place. They run around. They're in constant movement. Their scent is hard even for Siva to follow. But when they feel that there's a danger, they freeze and don't move. And that stillness allows them to hide within their own scent patterns that they've done around. So the rabbit went into this survival state of freezing and staying still. So deer do that at headlights. Yeah. You know, you'd think that I always have to beep the horn because the lights will put them in that freeze mode. And just for a language thing, which, which I love is you said the rabbit's homes are hard to find. Well, they're burrows and burrow as a word is sort of designed to, to be hidden a bit. Yes. Hmm. So when we're looking at the, the Vegas nerve, we want to restore some of the connections. So, and you just mentioned all these great practices of humming and singing. And not only do you sing all the time, which is something you said, but you've sung plenty of times here on the podcast itself. <laughs> but to, to start to restore, we want to recognize what it is that your, our body is doing. And that requires a bit of awareness. If our body isn't functioning, if we're not digesting, if we're not sleeping, to pause enough to recognize and be aware what is my body doing is one of the first steps to restoring some of those connections. And then to have a bit of respect, this, there's an adaptive physiologic response and sometimes it's not a choice, right? When we feel unsafe, we just did a, a, a program with our coach, Stacy Brass Russell, and she was talking about how the brain's job is to warn us of danger, right? So it's not always a conscious choice for us to be in this state of sympathetic. It is a natural reaction. Our brain wants us to be safe. And when it starts to notice things in our physiology or in our environment that signals unsafe, it is going to have a physiologic response. So that's good. Right? We don't have to think about it. We want it to happen. So we respect the response and notice. And then can we begin to have the tools and the practices to regulate between the two, to regulate and return to safe and or social situations? And this one I really liked when I found, which was restory and right, our why, what keeps us stuck and defensive. And I did that the other day. I was in my practice and I was thinking about the psoas muscle and working on it, noticing that on my right side, I had this kind of persistent, low volume unease, you know, soreness and discomfort. And I was like, oh, what's going on? What are you holding you psoas, right? This is my fight or flight muscle. What are you holding on to? And I paused and thought, I don't necessarily need to know exactly what my body is holding on to all the time now that I've recognized it. But I did this restory. I was like, what if the story that I started telling myself was one day I was on my mat and I noticed that this persistent tenderness 
in the lower right side of my back. And I stopped, took a breath, paused, sat with it for a little bit. And then on my next exhale, I gave it an opportunity to leave and to be released on my exhale. And did it work? You... It did. <laughs> it did. I started to read. I got up and I was like, I'm hoping it'll stay. But this restory, the focusing of my mind that I didn't have to go back and live some other story mm -hmm. or trauma that might be held in that muscle that is sometimes called the fight or flight. Sometimes it's not even considered a muscle. It's just considered the deepest part of our core, but that's a whole other, <laughs> whole other podcast. But what happens if I consciously restory these old habitual patterns? So I think that's um, really interesting because while you were, you kind of took the natural course to get to that point. And in the middle, I wrote regulate autonomic, but its own yet interactive. So the autonomic piece implies that it's just going to do the thing, whether we do anything or not, like the autonomic nervous system is going to respond to the causes and conditions that we find ourselves in. Like you said, if it's acute, it's going to happen very quickly to get into the fight, flight, or freeze response. Um, and if we're accumulating the stuff and then if we're whatever, all the different things. So what I think is really exciting about the vagus nerve, something I had never heard until about two years ago, I, when I was on the, maybe it was before the pandemic, I was on the table with the person who does my body work. And I was just like the entire time my digestive system was going. And she's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's just, you know, your vagus nerve. And I was like, what the fuck is that? So like, this is all new to me and relatively new comparative to the other muscles and things that we, we learned through yoga. But I love that it gives you a place to work so that you can interact with your autonomic nervous system in a very real and tangible way. So some of the things that came up, because I looked for that, I, I asked ChatGPT to say, you know, how are some of the ways that the vagus nerve can bring us into that place too? And not just the activities, but what is it that it's doing? And it says it regulates the heart rate. It reduces, and I'm not going to read the descriptions, it reduces stress hormone production, mm. enhances digestion, decreases inflammation, stimulates the release of oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone or the love hormone that makes you feel so good, activates the rest and digest response. So, but th these are really interesting things that if we can work with the vagus nerve, do those practices and activities, notice the different experiences our body is having so that we can put the pieces of the puzzle together in any given moment. And sorry, but you're going to have to do the puzzle every day in a different way. But that we do have some autonomy over this autonomic nervous system. We can do something, you know, to at least shift the causes and conditions. Um, or if not the causes and conditions, then whatever those activities are, meditating, stretching, humming, chanting. I even saw someone says, you know, tapping as a thing. I saw some woman, she, if you're not watching, she took her index finger and middle finger and massaged her collarbone. She says that's the first thing she does every morning to kind of release, I guess there are lymph nodes in there, but they're also kind of directed. But that to her is soothing and calming. And the interesting thing for me anyway, maybe not so interesting for you, is that I was always very soothed. If someone were to just touch my collarbone very lightly, I don't like the tickle on the arm. People are like, oh, tickle my arm. No, please don't ever tickle my arm. I am very ticklish. But that is so soothing to me. If I want to get into my, my parasympathetic nervous system, I just self-soothe by massaging my collarbone or just gently 
touching it. And if you're not watching while she's explaining, she's gently soothing herself by massaging her collarbone. So <laughs> while talking fast, while and, talking, you know, <laughs> thinking, are we at the end of this hour? Like we're, we're getting this feels like it went really fast. It does. We're getting close. And I think um, one of the things we talked a, a couple episodes back about the things that we say in yoga classes. So I'm going to bring up something that I say in yoga classes a lot, and that is what we practice gets stronger. And we can practice regulating back and forth through practices of, you know, breathing and the list. Go back to the beginning. Sherry gave us a great list of laughing and singing and a whole variety of different ways to connect with our vagus nerve and our autonomic nervous system. But what we practice gets stronger. If we practice staying in high stress, it's we train ourselves, it gets stronger. We know how to do that. If we practice staying in rest and relax so much that we are unable to get up and get anything done, maybe that gets stronger. But what if the practice is just practicing to fluctuate between the two as we need them, which is what the body really is designed to do, is to be able to click in and out of these systems that allow us to both do and be. I know we haven't used the word during either of these episodes, but the koshas come into this because before we can work on a physical level, so we often talk, start with the body. It's the most obvious, tangible thing that we can see. But if our identities have been practiced for so long that we really believe we are who we think we are, then some of these practices will feel really elusive and will not resonate. And some of them will resonate so much that, you know, living in that space too, like Teresa just said, fluctuating between the two is, is ideal, you know, and not a constant dance, like, blah, 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 like that's going to keep you in one or the other. But this idea that we can read our own rooms and that we can move to our own rhythms and rhymes in any given moment, and that we have some real intangible ways to access the less tangible in us. Yeah, we wouldn't, I wouldn't, I shouldn't say we, I wouldn't hesitate if somebody says, hey, Teresa, you know, your biceps are really weak. You can't even pick up that box. Maybe you might want to like do a little extra weight training to keep those muscles toned so that you can use them and you have the ability to do the things in life you want to do. Because I can see it, that would make sense. But when I talk about exercising my autonomic nervous system between the two, this ability of self-regulation, and I think that's the power yeah. of our practices, is self-regulation and awareness. So that if we know, and you know, where does this come into being something that's really valuable? Um, I felt myself popping over into uh, the sympathetic nervous system when I'm agitated or somebody is just pissing me off or I'm getting angry. And I can feel myself like start to pull in all those defenses. I'm feeling attacked. I might be feeling like I am unsafe and I can feel it all coming in when really I'm not in an unsafe situation, right. nor am I being attacked. I just am processing it. That's the story that I'm telling. But when you when in the practice of self-regulation and noticing, maybe that's the time for me to do something that I'm not very good at. I'd rather stay there and get into the thing and get it over with. But I've learned over the years that maybe it's much more beneficial for me to just walk away, breathe, process, regulate, and then come back 
and work on whatever that situation is, it's much more productive. And I usually don't feel like crap because I did something out of uh, a responsiveness rather than a choice. Yeah, that's a still a practice for me. I because oh, and this this doesn't feel so good to say, but sometimes when I'm in that that sympathetic place, I feel powerful. I feel really powerful. I feel like, and that's a drug. I mean, it, it's it's a feeling of adrenaline. If you've had that adrenaline rush, you know that you could fucking do anything. And so that's the dance I do is why am I feeling powerful there? Why do I need to exert that power over myself or others? And is it serving anyone? And even if my answer is no, this is not the right way to do it, or you know you'd feel better the other way, I'm still very much in my habitual pattern. And so it's like water to a fish, right? It's like, it's sometimes it's, so I, because of the practices, I'm more often than not able to shift within the moment. I can recognize the behavior and say, oh, fuck me there. Like, don't do that. Do this. But still, there are times when it's a look back with regret. Now, I live with very few regrets. And I use that word just to sort of uh, illustrate the, the idea that I could have done that better. I could have done that differently. But I am definitely also in a place where I know I'm not my thoughts and I can let that go and move on. And it's a lot easier now than it has been. And it's like you said, the things you practice, you get stronger at. And the more that I read, the more that I practice, the more that I'm aware of my own behaviors, the more honest I can be with myself and the more honest I can be in the world with my family, my friends, my children, you, all of, all of this. Because I think without that, it's really hard to, to know when we're lying to ourselves or, you know, I, I have to say it, when I was in high school, I was a bullshit artist. That's how I got through. You said you, you didn't have to read a book and you would do well just by listening. I bullshitted my way through so much. So I recognize it in others and in myself when I see it. And it's like passive aggressiveness. These are patterns that I have worked really hard to get out of and working through the yogic systems and through meditation and through my teachers and through my friends and through reflection and all of this, I can say that there is a path out of the forest when you feel like you're lost. We talked, uh, I was just watching a video of us and you were talking about getting lost in the forest. So I find it interesting that you didn't know that I did that, but it came back to, you know, when we feel lost. And I think, you know, there was a lot in this particular episode with a lot of the science. So just to simplify, we fade in and out of all the different processes in the body. Both are good. We're on a spectrum between the two. And when you find yourself out of balance, that's the time to build that awareness and notice that what are some of the, for lack of a better word, symptoms, but not in a non-prescriptive way, but the symptoms that you're out of balance and need to regulate. And then can you gift yourself the time to care for self? Because we gift others our time to care for them. And sometimes there's that disconnect of turning the lens back and saying, this is my time. So, right. Oh, for sure. And you know, you had sent the um, video, the TED talk by that Ralph Simone, TEDx talk. Um, and so I want to end, you had done a, a little bit of a practice with noticing and all of that, that he said something I thought was really interesting. And I'll put this in the show notes, the four experiments, he called it. And so this is a way that you can begin to implement these things into your life in a, in a real intangible way. 
breathe slower, <laughs> regulate your breath. That's something that is both autonomic and we can manipulate. That's the one thing we can, the breath goes on its own, but we can also play. So regulate your breath, breathe slower, eat slower. Like maybe mm -hmm. just take the time and be aware. These are all mindfulness practices because they require that level of awareness. Ease into your day. Don't just jump out of bed and turn on your phone and check the weather or check Facebook or whatever. Really allow yourself to wake up and move with ease into the day. Feel the, feel the blankets on you and the sheet on you. Feel the feet, your feet as they touch the floor. You know, allow your breathing to notice how it moves from sleep into action. And the final thing is, is the one that I need to work on. Less for you, more for me, and that's drive slower. He suggested drive the speed limit. Like, please don't drive under the speed limit because I will be on your tail. But if you're driving at least the speed limit, like know what that feels like. People will be pissed off and people will be on your tail and people will honk and they will pass you and they will be aggressive. But do it anyway. Take Pretend it's Sunday, be out on your Sunday drive. So these are ways that we can bring our full attention to this experiment. And it is all an experiment. Um, and with that, I just, I wish you peace, love, rest, and restore today and, and until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our channels and other stuff. Thank you for inspiring us to have these conversations and to create contemplative live experiences that move our bodies, hearts, and minds to the rhythm of our highest selves. Thank you for showing up. Feel free to send us your stories, questions, and comments to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank our amazing editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our fun music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. Journey with us as we continue down the roads of discovery, taking the detours and meeting the mysteries. You are our why. See you next time.